So would you rather have night of sleep where you don't dream and you just get a good night's sleep or you have kind of a restless night, but you have a really good dream? Um, depends on what I'm doing the next day. Like uh, <laughs> the night before my exam, I had a restless night, not a good dream. That's probably the worst night you get. That is the worst <laughs> night. You don't get no sleep and it's like you're worried and it's, oh. You wake up stressed, even though you know it's a dream. It, it, you know what the worst is? When it's not even a dream, you just wake up stressed. Like, you know that there was a dream and you just can't remember it and you just cannot shake the stress. Yeah. No, I've had dreams that'll, you know, shitty dreams that have put me in like an emotional funk. They're know? tough. Yeah. It, there are dreams out there that will fuck you up like you know they, they're not even rooted in reality but you'll have them you'll be like oh well that's bummy you know that just that that just really bums me out for whatever reason have you ever uh, kept a dream journal that's something that I, I always love hearing how in the writing community there's a lot of people who say you have these great ideas at night if you don't have a dream journal next to you you're gonna forget them and then Stephen King comes out and says I think dream journals are the best place to keep your bad ideas that you're never going to use. Cause if it's a really good idea, you'll remember it when you wake up. <laughs> That's funny as hell, but I will say this. Have you, I, I guess this is more of a question, but have you ever taken something from your dream that's held value in the real world? No, not that I can think of. Yeah, I actually have. So, I've had, I've pulled lyrics from the dream world or not lyrics themselves, but like rhyme structures. Like I'll be dreaming of ways to rhyme in my dream where I used to, I don't really do so much these days, but, and I'd wake up and still kind of remember half ass parts of that structure. And I'll kind of jot them down and then come back and try to, you know, so, there's been a couple of times where I think I've, I've drawn just stanzas and schemes from dream, probably not whole just rhyme lyrics, but definitely schemes, stanzas and structures, delivery packages for sure. It's cool that you're talking like the way that you were uh, spelling it out there with your hands, making it visual as if you couldn't quite see a formula until you saw it from different, a different perspective that like only a dream gives you like those sort of out of body experiences where you can actually exit your body and look down at it and see the world from an elevated angle. Like that's sort of what I was getting when you were uh, holding up the different lines, attaching them to the stanzas, mm -hmm. build, building out your lyrics. You, you were putting them together like a Lego block. I, I've, I've never thought of lyrics as three-dimensional. Well, and that's what's crazy because I never thought of lyrics really as three-dimensional until you just said that. But this is the best way to describe writing rhymes or making music. I think making music is a better way because writing rhymes is somewhat singularly dimensional, even, it, even in its multi-dimensionality, right? But like the way that most people write rhymes, they do it like line by line. I try to put together puzzle pieces. And the way you said that they're three-dimensional puzzle pieces, it's like you're putting together a three-dimensional puzzle. And if you're a good musician or a good rhymer or, you know, you're just really good, you should be able to create uh, experience, an experience that's engulfing or surrounding, immersive. And so you're surrounded by the music. And in fact, 
my homie Fly Lane Case, who just uh, came by and, and hung out with me, he said something about Killer Priest, which I totally agree with. It's like, he hits you from all, all sides when it comes to rhymes. And there are musicians like that, that will artistically and creatively hit you from all sides to where you don't really have anywhere to go, but to sit there and just be immersed in what they're giving, like Phalas like that. Um, you know, people obviously describe the Beatles like that, you know, uh, Mozart and, um, you know, all the greats that you can just pull up in different genres, Jimi Hendrix and all those guys, like they hit you from so many different angles that it, it sounds like you're engulfed or surrounded in the music. And I, I think that's at the highest level, you do it like that. So yeah, I'd say you're putting together a puzzle but it's a three-dimensional puzzle of sound and context and idea and all that other stuff. So somewhat unrelated, but because you mentioned the Beatles, my mind is still in a bit of a, a haze. And I was, I was reading the subtle art, not giving a fuck earlier. Edible. Just getting through it. Yep. That, that's exactly what happened. And um, it talks about how funnily enough, one of the pieces of advice in it, which was something I mentioned reading about in both Jordan Peterson and Dan Crenshaw's book comes up in this as well, which is the importance of taking responsibility for everything in your life and the freedom that creates. Uh, and another was the importance of shifting the perspective to reward yourself with the accomplishments you've done. The examples he gave were two musicians, Dave Mustaine of Megadeth mm. and um, Nate Best of the Beatles and how Dave Mustaine came out with an interview a while ago where he still saw, even though he was an accomplished musician, well-respected in a genre and a founder of an incredibly successful group in Megadeth, he still saw himself as a failure because he still saw himself as the guy who got kicked out of Metallica and he did not feel like he has outperformed Metallica. It's a very tall order, but it, it, uh, that's not an easy band to overcome in that genre. Uh, and so even though he has all of these accomplishments that just about anyone who wanted to make it a music would happily accept he saw himself as a failure. Then you look at, I think his name's Nate. It's, I, I think it's Nate Best. He was the drummer for the Beatles before Ringo Starr. Mm -hmm. And they kicked him out before they blew up. And um, he said it hurt. But he also said that it was, turned out to be the best thing to happen to him because he was able to get married, have a successful marriage, which was some, which is something that other members of the Beatles weren't necessarily able to, uh, to have. Um, have a family, play music on his own time, tour Europe and continue making music well into the 2000s. Mm. Um, and he just, and he lived a much different life. And the only thing he sacrificed because he still loved music and was still making money through music. And his only sacrifice in order for his comfortable life was not having the immeasurable fame and adulation that the Beatles had. Well, and then he has that as like, by proxy, right? There's a there's a after effect or like an echo of fame that even an adulation that goes even towards him. Cause we say this guy of the Beatles, even though he got kicked out at some point, they were so famous that the fact that he was the original drummer, you still are like, well, hey, you were still good enough to play with those guys. So you got some skill, right? Yeah. No, I, I just loved the idea of shifting your current circumstances so that you are successful. Uh, it, just, just, it's, it, one of the things I do like about this book is that it's not telling you to uh, to necessarily hide from the negativity. I think we mentioned it in the last podcast episode where that's a losing battle. You're never going to successfully barrier or, or wall yourself off from it. And if you do successfully do it, then you're not really living. Um, but if you're able to, at the very least, 
not hate the place you're at, uh, you're probably putting yourself in a much better position. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of people have a lot more choice and control over that than they think they do. But I also understand who, for the people who don't and have to kind of gut some shit out for a while, um, you know, you definitely have to have some sort of an exit strategy and, a, and some light at the end of the tunnel. Otherwise, you know, it's going to be a pretty miserable existence. Well, I, I should clarify that in the book, it does say that um, you're going to feel suffering and, and misery. And I think the main point of the book that he said a number of times was uh, sort of similar to Buddha. Uh, life is suffering, so you got to find things worth suffering for. I like that. I thought that was a more popular person who said that. Buddha's pretty popular. Well, <laughs> pop culture, I think I was trying to say. You know, sadly, I would say Buddha's pretty pop culture, too. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right about that. Yeah, I can't really walk that back, can I? I can't really walk that back. Well, you know, what's I interesting is I, I've, we talked about our last episode, and it's something that will probably come up in the future just because I'm interested in it. But there's an element of Buddhism that's always been attractive. Uh, and it's the idea of um, attachment and suffering and expectation. And I think while I, you know, I obviously wouldn't subscribe to the entire philosophy or ideology, like everything else, there's a lot of attractive components to something like Buddhism. And for those of a secular mind, it could offer some sort of uh, a different place for some people that that may not be, let's say, theistically religious. So um, like yoga, we were talking about, you know, yogi spirituality and stuff like that. I think Buddhism, uh, a lot of Eastern philosophies are, 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 are well worth researching and diving in. But I also feel like other philosophies, whether they be theistical or um, Christian or Muslim, it's all worth exploring if you do it from the right, from the context of trying to understand. Curiosity. Even if you don't. Yeah, the, 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 yeah, the perspective of curiosity and, and honest curiosity, not judgmental curiosity, because that's where a lot of people get lost. They want to go in there with their eyes and their perspective and they want to judge. And the younger you are, the more you tend to do that. The older you are, the more you realize like, man, I don't really know shit. You know what I mean? Like I, at the end of the day, you realize, okay, I, I'm, I'm a finite limited human being like everybody else. So I could be making a bunch of limited assumptions about things that I can't particularly understand about reality. And for a lot of people who don't have that conversation often, it could feel like something where it's like, well, I'm not going there. You know, I'm just going to, had that particular conversation off at the past. And... I personally love you. I mean, I, I think you can find interesting questions to life in just about every philosophy. Yeah. Um, and, que and questions are usually the more difficult thing to find. I mean, you can find an answer just about anywhere online today. Uh, questions are really difficult to find. And uh, I, I love the questions that Eastern philosophy raises um i highly for someone who wants like a bit of a blend between eastern philosophy with western language that's easy to understand there's a fantastic book called the Tao of Pooh, mm -hmm. which uh explores the teachings of, of lao tzu and taoism 
mm. uh, through the eyes of Winnie the Pooh and why he is the ultimate Western Taoist icon. Um, and it goes through all of the Pooh characters and, and their f- philosophical holds. And one of the big things is he isn't anything but himself. He simply is just existing. And Taoism is this... Like, one thing I love about Taoism is uh, the great masters of it all had, like, this childlike mischief to them. Like, they were the ones that that lived incredibly long times because they were incredibly young at heart. They were the gurus that would, like, prank their disciples. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I always thought that was an interesting component of um, any type of master-pupil or master-apprentice relationship is sometimes you got to be a teacher sometimes you have to be a friend sometimes you have to be a parent sometimes you have to be you know a a sibling and that ability for those kind of great teachers the great ones to really walk that line well and get the best results out of their pupils you know probably deserves more appreciate appreciation than it gets Absolutely. I mean, well, just, just ha- mentorship deserves more appreciation than it gets because that's a completely uh, bastardized industry right now of people desperately needing mentors and willing to spend a lot of money on coaches who don't necessarily want to help them, at least them specifically. They just want them to fit into their very specific coaching program. Um, yeah. But as far as the Eastern philosophy side of things go, then on the other half side, Taoism's sort of the, it, from my basic understanding of it i'm no expert in this field i've just read a few books on it uh it's, it's sort of the opposite of confucius um and confucius uh confucius's teachings were um on the strict equally measured and disciplined side of things there was like the saying of you couldn't begin prayer if your mat was just a quarter of a centimeter off the proper angle or some shit like that's sort of how they would define confucius teachings um just rigid order strict discipline everything in the universe needs to be perfectly aligned um and then you have Taoism, which is sort of the opposite of existence is simply being yeah and then contrast that with obviously the judeo-christian um you know idea of salvation and then the 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 islamic muslim idea of submission and then hinduism which is very karma and class based uh you know, and then, you know, the African traditions, which tend to be, um, at least at the tribal level, ancestralistic, right? Uh, polytheistically ancestral based. Um, and then you have the native beliefs for the Native Americans of, you know, their spiritual practices. And I think that's a lot and that's that has a lot to do with ancestralism too but not i don't know how it relates to that would be interesting to see what the original native religions and belief systems were compared to the original uh african belief systems were i I was always drawn to the connection to the land of ancestral beliefs it's it's just spoke of your living circumstances with honor and respect i mean i mean why wouldn't you want to protect the land that's nourishing you and giving back to it i i I was always drawn to those um beliefs just from a curiosity standpoint um not necessarily ready to go into the desert and and take a hallucinogen i am Yeah, your 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 mental fortitude is much stronger than mine. I'm not ready to explore the darkest parts of my mind quite yet. 
Well, let me ask you this question because I think about this. We talked about, I feel like this is just part two of a conversation that we had earlier. Uh, but do you think if people had more access to psychedelics, like if psychedelics was a much more common um, use sort of activity in mainstream society that we would have the perspective that we have on let's say media and entertainment uh, and education and, and foreign policy as a, as a culture? I have no idea. I all, the only thing I know about psychedelics is it opens up neural pathways in the brain that weren't previously used. Um, so the idea of us seeing things differently makes sense to me if we were to use them more regularly, but I don't know if it would have an, I mean, you, you would think it would, if it's forcing those neural pathways to connect. Um, I, all I can say is that right now with the current research coming out about psychedelics in early trials of microdosing on people suffering from mental illness uh, is very promising. Mm. Yeah. I want, obviously I don't know that much about the studies about this, but I do know that there have been at least some studies involving veterans having PTSD that have been, I think, federally funded, if I'm not mistaken. And these are, I, I, I believe, uh, it's definitely, I, I've seen similar studies. I don't know where the funding's coming from. I didn't read that. Um, but I, it, you know, I think when you're just online and you see the articles posted, um, yeah. I, 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 like even on Yahoo, like I, I see them on Yahoo Finance and shit. Uh, because pharmaceutical co companies are the ones investing in, in, in reports as well. Um, but as far as, um, as, See, as far as these studies go, oh, I was just going to say the important thing is these are heavily measured, heavily supervised, prescribed amounts of psychedelics. It's not just winging it with someone who's been around them. No, for sure. And, and you have to always kind of bring up this notion of, let's say pharmaceutical companies vested interest in let's say the quote unquote unsuccess or you know quite frankly the failure of its treatment applications so that they don't take a bite out of their kind of revenue stream and that's like any business out there you know you're looking at competition and things that could eat into your your business and eat into your market so i do think that there's always going to be kind of a perception battle that psychedelics and, and um, things like psilocybin will yeah. will have to fight because there's once again a perception that oh you're a hippie you're just gonna have all these weird fucking ticks and you know you're just gonna think you're you know a spaceship and you're flying and maybe that might be the case okay there's some people out there who do some crazy psychedelic stuff and they think some crazy stuff but for the most part I think it's a part of, it was a part of human evolution that we probably used for a good chunk of our existence once we discovered it. It changed who we were as human beings and then we stopped. And I think that changed who we were as well. Now, whether that's for the positive or the better, who knows? But I think that something happened along the evolutionary line where we, you, we, we had a psychedelic experience or something and that we communicated that experience down through maybe different stories and stuff like that. And I think that had an effect on the world. 
Yeah, it does make me wonder uh, where we would be if research for these uh, drugs didn't dry up. Because obviously when they first came out and were first developed, they were... Um, I'm talking about the, the synthesized shit, not, not the um, natural psychedelics. Mm-hmm. Um, there was interest in what they could do. I mean, they, they were developed and used for, for medicinal analysis. Um, and it just makes me curious where we would be if the if if those studies never stopped because we did have a drug here that had a profound impact on the way our brain works um and it was it's a non-physically addictive drug too so you know that if someone is doing this you can go too far and totally fuck their mind up which is something which is not ideal but you also know that if if you do not do that you're not fucking their life up the same way you are if you're experimenting on physically addictive drugs which they then have to go through withdrawal uh and have actual bodily functions potentially shut down as they're recovering heroin and yeah meth and all that type of shit and and alcohol i mean people can't like alcohol withdrawal is no joke yeah i've never been a big drinker like that so i my i can't percept my my perception of alcohol and having a problem with it is like oh yeah you're you know you're drinking at lunchtime not like you're 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 drinking so much that if you stop drinking your body your organs are going to shut down in some way like that seems so foreign to me yeah but alcohol is apparently for someone who's physically addicted to it one of the hardest drugs to kick yeah i could see that i could see that i would imagine that if you've been dependent on any chemical once you take that chemical away the body reacts the body fights to get that feeling back yeah, it's just it's it's become a part of you. Your body reacts to it. If it doesn't have it, it doesn't know what to do. Um, so it, it's one of those things where, to my knowledge, the psychedelics aren't physically addictive. So they weren't putting their I know they were putting their participants at risk of different at, at, at different risks, but at least they didn't have the physical withdrawal symptoms to deal with. Yeah, and 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 I can only imagine the type of discomfort or pain that a, a, a chemical like you know oxy or whatever heroin withdrawal like i don't know what that feels like i've seen it but i don't couldn't imagine what the hell that feels like but if you're telling me that going through that is worse than actually living as an addict on that shit and then risking overdose and you're still fucking like you're fucking your body up anyway then, I mean, even if I had an addictive personality, I would go through that shit once or, I mean, I'd say what I would do, right, obviously. But, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, shit, man, the the treatment might be worse than the goddamn drug itself. You might as well just let them do it if it's that bad. Well, I, I don't know if, that, if that's a fair comparison because the, the hope is, you know, they're treated and then you can overcome not quite overcome that physically because you do live with the addiction for the rest of your life but i mean i mean i don't think you're ever over it you're never over it but it is a it is a destructive behavior like there's difference between being mentally over it and your body not physically needing it or else it will shut down i'm saying you'll probably be on some version of a like some substance offset like whatever it is that you're taking to help you kick the physical but I didn't think that was forever. I, I thought that was just until you were, uh, I, I didn't think that was forever. I mean, maybe, uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not too uh, litter on, on this subject. 
Yeah, me neither. And and I, I'm guessing, I'm sure listeners out there, maybe someone who has had a family member or, you know, even shoot, forbid anybody who directly who listens to us, who's gone through that experience themselves. It's like, you know, you can always email us and, and, and tell us about that experience. We'll read it on the air and we'll make sure we don't, you know, use your name or anything like that unless you want us to. But it's, it's something that, yeah, I don't have a lot of experience with myself and I don't have even a lot of experience observing, but I do think that uh, for the people out there who are, are, you know, for the people who struggle with any type of substance abuse, right? It doesn't have to be something as extreme as what we're giving an example, right? It could be caffeine addiction. It could be nicotine addiction, right? It could even be um, cannabis addiction, not necessarily chemically, but psychologically. There's, for some people out there who have addictive personalities, it is something to explore from the context of trying to figure out how not to be susceptible to that sort of uh, characteristic in your personality. Yeah. Um, cannabis addiction is, I mean, that, that, that's entirely mental. And, and relative. That, yeah. Because we all know that there's high functioning crackheads and shit out there, man. I'm not trying to be funny style, but uh, there are high functioning crackheads out there people who smoke crack on their lunch break and will probably go into a $250,000 a year job and do shit. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think what, I don't know if crack is the drug that, that I, I feel like just pure cocaine is, is the drug that like you have a lot I of mean, functioning guys on. You think that you think that, and I was hearing about basketball. Well, because you could just like snort it in like a second, and then it's gone, and you don't have to think about it. like, or, like you know, what I'm saying? like it's easy to hide. Like, oh god, I have this coke. What do I got to do with it? It's gone. Yeah. I'm not saying <laughs> it's, it's going to be in the same type of common amount as, let's say, the the the, the rich person who has access to coke, right? That's more of like a party sort of thing, or even a casual thing. I, I feel like that's a little bit different. But there, I think there are people who who have the ability to function for the most part, without losing too much of their ability to function in their daily lives and still have an addiction to something fucking crazy. Yeah, I mean- And they can hide it well. There's definitely the, there's definitely the high, high functional alcoholic, like the, the person who is taking over the business world and heavily addicted to drinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and there are obviously activity addictions as well because you, know, you, you do get that. Um, there's the- the whole notion of being an, uh, addicted to a particular activity and then in your neural pathways are um, formed to be dependent on that activity. And when you stop that activity, the body has withdrawal. So I think it all falls in the same category. Well, you know, you know, it's a wild addiction too. What's so that? something I've, I've dealt with on and off because I, I, I know for a fact I've had it. Sugar addiction. That I mean. Oh, one second. I just unplugged myself. I tried to play it off, but wait. Say that again. I was just being quiet, so I knew where to cut. A sugar addiction. Oh yeah, that's the probably one of the worst addictions that exists. Absolutely. I mean, when you when you when you take a look at the health problems that sugar leads to, um, not just cavities and gum disease, but mm-hmm. the number one killer in America, or number two, I think it's number one heart disease. I mean, sh- sugar is absolutely a, something that leads to high risk uh, factors for heart disease, diabetes, um, obesity. 
So those are the, those are two of the big ones. Smoking's the biggest. Actually, that that was a wild thing I learned when I was back in school, and I had to take this elective for uh for for non lab science. I took a heart health class, and they were we one of the things I remembered while watching the Tokyo Games was if you are an an average weight smoker, you have a higher risk of heart disease than uh, an obese person who doesn't smoke, or it's similar. Why is that? Just just because smoking is so unhealthy for you. Yeah, it's so bad. I mean, hey, hey, look, if anybody's out there who smokes, man, I mean, obviously you do what you want, but it's definitely not, man, I don't know. I'm not judging nobody, shit. It's just, I, I, yeah, I remember seeing those truth commercials growing up and they were burned into my head. So I'm just thinking of like, dog. But, oh God, like the guy who takes his jaw out. Yeah, shit, he's like, like uh, just by the way, I, you know, I had a mouth before. It's like, oh fuck. And then the woman with the throat, with the uh, tracheotomy. Or so bad, dog, so bad. Yeah, those I, commercials I think me that up. I think that that woman lived for quite a long time after that commercial. So it was like, yeah, you, you're gonna live a long time in a kind of shitty way. You, you're gonna Ugh. most likely survive whatever the cigarette does to you because it's such a slow killer. I know, kind of a bummer. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, just, just I'm thinking about that neck again. Oh God, it's not a pleasant sight. No, and then she like, I think, did she like do some weird shit? Like she smoked so through, through it? it? Oh, dog. <laughs> Get smoking through here. your throat so, hole. She's smoking through her throat hole. Like that is just so brutal. Oh, that is br oodle right there. Oof. Oh man, I've been watching uh-huh. a lot of um, old school '90s wrestling as I kind of set up my new space. It's a nice transition, man. Thank you. Yeah, no. For sure. <laughs> um, and well, because I've been, watching. I've, well, I've been watching a lot of like old like 97 98 wwf and you know i don't i only put stuff like that on because a i've seen it a million times and b it's like i can still kind of go back and catch new things that i missed as a kid because as a kid you're probably watching for totally different reasons and i have a different appreciation for pro wrestling today than i did when i was younger um but uh as i'm setting up my new space I'm realizing that I'm about to be drowning in light, right? Like I, I have light all around me from- Oh dude, you monitors. look like you're in a spaceship. Yeah, is that what it looks like? Yeah. Oh, it's not even, I haven't even gotten started yet. I'm gonna have so much stuff. It's gonna be crazy. I shouldn't do it. But you should. I should, I'm going to. You absolutely should. Are you gonna build like the Rogan set basically? Um, I might. So here's the thing about that. There's a, a, a podcast microphone that he has that is like the top of the line. It's like the SMB8 or whatever, SM7B or something like that. And it's like the top of the line version of the podcast microphone. It's great. I have no issue with it. But I also feel like the next microphone down in that line is a really, really good microphone for podcasting, specifically for podcasting. And that's all I really want it for. I just want a desk microphone that's a good, clear, you know, $300 microphone, whatever it is. And that other microphone's like maybe $100 more, but if I feel like it doesn't fit on a desk, it's much bigger. And if you wanted to put it on a desk, it would require much more desk space. And I don't want that. The other one looks like it was designed to sit on a desk. So that's what I'm <clears throat> trying to wrestle with right now is as to uh, where I want to go with my uh, 
my audio setup. You're going all in on podcasts, though. I love it. You're good at it. Yeah, You're a good well, talker. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well, we got the low technology show we're getting ready to do. Obviously, I got my stream. We got our show, Grand Gold. Uh, and, Still doing and the one with uh, Tombstone? Tombstone, Majestic Musings. Yeah, because we are getting ready to finish issue zero of the comic book. And so with that being essentially done, then, you know, we really... Now, not only can we start working on other issues with other artists, but we can work on s smaller stories, like little, like one or two page stories that we can tell with a certain artist and put this, disseminate those and build this lore in this universe. That way when we release, we want to release content like a dope ass poster or, you know, some sort of, um, you know, other artwork or, or asset that they could get like an NFT of the a 3D model of the character or something like that. It's like they already understand and the, understand the context of, uh, you know, this character, the art, the place and, and the value of that. And so it's, it's kind of easy to sell. I don't know if I told you, I, I definitely wrote that uh, comic idea uh, and I've, I've been working on one myself. Disgruntled, really? disgruntled unicorn comics. We, we post like three panels, three days a week mm -hmm. um, on Instagram and we're working on making, turning it into an animated show, 11 minute episodes right now. Uh, basic premise. It's yeah. kind of lowbrow comedy. It's uh it's a college newspaper in a fantasy realm. So it's these, you know, elves, gnomes, orcs coming together for a college newspaper. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's us getting to make, make fun of college life, make fun of different political stances, make, make just make fun of just about anything we want yeah. um, in a fantasy realm. I love it. We have a, at my request, we have a Jew species. Mm -hmm. uh, they're cows that go mm -hmm. Jew and their noses grow when people around them are telling lies. So they're used by law enforcement and they have the kosher symbols uh, branded on their ass. Okay. Uh, just so let me just call it now. You will attempt to be, they will attempt to cancel you for that. That's what we're going for. Okay, we basically just... have said that we're willing to do, we're willing to go after just about anyone except for, uh, you know, the, the, I'll, 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 I'll tell you the one exception we have off air. Cause I don't, yeah, for I, sure. Okay. Yeah. And, and, the and thing I think about you can is, guess what it is. Yeah. I, and I can guess what that is, but the, the, the thing about it is in the context of art and humor, I, it, you know, the boundaries are what the boundaries are, wherever you want to take it. If you have an audience, that's fine. I just feel like if you feel offended by something or you feel like it's not for you, I would just not read it. Um, but it kind of makes me switch over to something that else that right now that's getting a little bit more kind of, um, I don't know, discussion, which is the new Loki show. Have you seen anything about the new Loki show? Only that it came out and that you told me I should watch it on our last episode. Oh my goodness, dog. The new Loki show is ridiculous. I felt like I watched a Marvel movie the first episode. That's yeah, that's what I've been hearing about all of the Marvel shows on Disney. Yeah, um, man. I hear WandaVision is cool. I still haven't, I haven't seen any of them. I heard that uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier was basically an eight hour movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, that's, I haven't seen it, but all I've heard is that WandaVision was incredible. Falcon and Winter Soldier was pretty dope. And it basically was showing kind of the, it's almost like their, not, I'm not gonna say their response to the DC Arrowverse, but their attempt to create like an interconnected TV, like a Disney plus verse, 
that's what they're t- trying to do. Yeah. So that's cool. But they were doing it on Netflix. They were doing a good job on Netflix too. I miss those shows. Yeah. Oh, the uh, Defenders. Dare, Defenders, Daredevil. And yeah, I mean, Daredevil was such a great fucking show. Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones was a great season one. I didn't see season three. Um, uh, who, who else? I, I, Iron Fist and um, God. Now I'm going to blank on his name. Yeah. Luke, uh, is it Lex or no? Not. Oh, oh, you talking about um, Supergirl? No, uh, Marvel's Defenders. Oh, so we're in fucking Marvel. I'm tripping. Yeah, and on, on Netflix. Uh, who, who else? Uh, Luke Cage. Luke Cage. His season one was awesome. Actually, yeah. his season one was almost awesome. It was great pretty much all the way through. And then I thought that the main villain was kind of weak. I thought the secondary villain was infinitely better and they got rid of him too soon. Huh. Did you ever hear that Rock Him theme song he did for that show? No, well, probably. And I just can't think of it right now. Yeah, dog, that shit is too stupid. I don't know if it's the thing. I don't know if it's the opening for the show. I think it might be the opening to the show. It, In that case, yeah, I absolutely have heard it. I, I, it might be the opening to the show, but it might not be because it sounded like something that would maybe have been on a soundtrack, but I couldn't tell you. I'll send you the link. So I, I kind of want to get back into to soundtracks and OSTs because I've been playing some Final Fantasy. And so I've been hearing some stuff on there. I want to go back through and you know, maybe even chop up or something. You know what I've been watching lately? Because I, I I have a buddy in Australia who's never seen it. Boondocks. Great show. Great fucking show. He's laughing his ass off the entire time. What are they going to do? Uh, are they bringing that show back or is that show done? I, oh, I think that show's done. They, 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 they did three seasons. Then they did a fourth one, like in 2015. What was that? Like six years after the show ended or or seven years after the show ended and then it's been now it's been off for another five years or four years so i think it's going to be um they, there were the rumors that they were going to do the uncle ruckus movie yeah well john witherspoon passed away as well so yeah Rest granddad yeah he, he, he there's no way unless they're going to recast get granddad and i doubt it there's no way that happens Oh God! Also, uh, Charlie Murphy obviously passed away, and he was uh, he was oh, Ed Wensler. That's right. The third. That's yeah. right. That's right. I totally forgot about that. Damn! What a great show, man. My favorite episode from the Boondocks is when uh, um, the gang from the old home tracks down uh, that karate dude. Stinkmeter two. Uh, Stinkmeter three. Yeah. He, is that the one where yeah, he's the- standing in, in their house? And he has to order him the custom ass cleaning toilet. And or else he like, won't fight them. Yeah, yeah, he was like, he said something like, uh, this piece of shit toilet you got won't flush. He was like, well, shit, can't you just use toilet paper or something? He was like, man, I don't care if you wipe my ass. But what did he say? Bushido Brown. <laughs> Bushido Brown doesn't his wipe his ass. ass. <laughs> and I was like, like, are you telling me you want me to wipe your yeah, ass for like, you? He was like, are you telling me to wipe your old ass? And he fucking threw him out, and then the dudes were right there on them. Dog, that was too comedy. It's yeah, uh, that I, I fucking love that show. Um, the a few episodes have just snuck up on me with complete hilarity. Uh, the Return of the King was hilarious when Martin Luther King came back to life. Oh yeah, and uh, and got canceled 
because yeah. he was asked if if like what he thought about the war on terror and he was like it's the christian way to forgive and turn the other cheek and everyone just canceled martin luther king yeah they got some i love the episode with the uh what was that restaurant they opened oh where... the uh, itis oh yeah yeah the itis where they were eating and falling asleep in the restaurant dog there's one beat in there that's so dumb it makes me think of all the dope ass beats that they used in that show it was also a great opening uh track yeah. and uh you know who saw... did that track uh who uh, was a dude named asheru the dope rapper Go check out Asheru if you're if anybody's listening. A A is A S H E R U Asheru. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, Hebrew name. Yeah, it's a dope ass name. Yeah, and, uh, Hebrew for a blessing. Interesting. That's a dope ass name. That's a great name, man. Better than little such and such. <laughs> little Asher, <laughs> little blessing. <laughs> yeah. What a. <sighs> I'm not going to knock anybody for their names, but it's like, come on, just give a little effort. Don't be that guy or girl. Yeah. As far as uh, Boondocks is concerned, I, I do agree. They did. They just always had great soundtracks. And uh, I didn't realize Reginald Hudlin was a part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, he did some Black Panther comics and I actually met him because I was an extra on the Thurgood Marshall movie starring Chadwick Boseman. Just because it was a bucket list item, I always wanted to be an extra in a, in a movie. Wait a minute, how are you gonna just drop that in there like that? Hold up, dog. Oh, dude, Get I'm in the trailer. Get no. I'll I'll, I'll 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 show you after the stream. Yeah, I'm I'm in the trailer. I'm in just about every courtroom scene. I got to sit next to uh, Kate Hudson once. Get the porno yeah. right now. No way. I can't believe that. I got you. Got to send me the link. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you the link in the timestamp. Um, but it it was cool. Uh. Dope, and no, I, I got to, I got to meet him, and uh, I got to become his friend on LinkedIn. And on my old Twitter, we followed each other back. And the, just because like, I thanked him for the opportunity to be on a on a real motion picture set, it was fantastic. Just really cool guy, really cool director, really nice guy. And I was just, I just love seeing his name pop up every time. It's just a nice little uh, nod back to a fun memory that I got to check off a bucket list. Damn. Well, uh, what's something else? We're going to wrap this up, but here's the the question going out. What's something on your bucket list that you have now that you still haven't accomplished? Because I got a couple things I could probably name. Um, I probably want to try a psychedelic in Arizona. Um, Also, I don't know if it's like two. I want to climb one of the... For some reason, my, 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 my gut is saying climb Killy. You know, go to Tanzania, climb Kilimanjaro. Mm-hmm. Just, just, just to have. I, I know that's kind of a staple bucket list item for people, but there, there is just something about climbing a mountain. It's, it's the physical effort of doing it. You physically did something, and no one can take that away from you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to have like a not like a professional like MMA fight. But like someone who's like my age, who's my build, you know, we'd probably do like amateur helmet type shit, but like an actual bout, you know, with somebody, whether I get knocked out or I knock them out or I get knocked around or whatever, it doesn't matter. But I want to do that. I want to be able to like train for it for like six months and then do it. You want a Logan Paul versus wanna, Floyd but Mayweather? I but, but I don't want to do it on some like, you know, because I, I, 
<laughs> you just want to show up to a gym. Yeah, I want to. I just want to show up to a gym, bro. I, I don't want to even film it. I mean, obviously, people are like, yeah, because you, you don't want to show yourself getting knocked out. No, it's not that. I don't want to make it look like I'm chasing attention. If you want to just film it for the record so that we can study tape afterwards, like, okay, yeah, here's where you fucked up. You dropped your hands and he knocked you out. Okay, that's great. But I'm saying I would want it just for the sake of I get to watch myself try to understand or or you know why i made a mistake here or why i did the right thing here and that's all that would be but the 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 whole motivation is not to try to seek fame like oh yeah i'm gonna knock this out and become a professional fighter no no no, no. it's just a bucket list sort of thing so that would be one of my bucket list things kind of like a amateur kind of fight with somebody um oh, it's funny and- you say that oh well, go ahead. I, I was just saying, my mind went to two people for you because it's funny you say it like that. Uh, it's two, they're two fighters who I've, I, they, they've deserved my respect all along and I have always respected them, but my respect for them both have just, has just climbed immensely the more I hear them speak. And that's George St. Pierre and Khabib. Mm-hmm. Um, George St. Pierre, he was on, I listened to him twice in a row, once on the Lex Friedman podcast, Friedman podcast, and the other on Joe Rogan. And one of the things he talked about was when the younger fighters coming up, he thinks they might be sparring too much because they, they, they're really just putting too much wear and tear on their body before they go into a fight. And yeah. he said when he spars with people, he doesn't call it sparring. He doesn't call it fighting. He says it's play. He says that you retain more when you play. You retain more when you're having a good time and it's, and it's a game. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't go into sparring looking to hurt someone or fight or go, go full effort uh, just because it's, it's about learning. It's not about winning. Uh, and I really respected that mindset. And then the other mindset that I just grew to really respect was Khabib when he's talked about his um his connor fight and how disappointed he was with himself for letting his anger get the best of him he said that's the only fight in his career where he went out there and he tried to hurt someone and he deeply regretted it uh he said he, he never tries to hurt he just want he tries to win yeah well shoot i take away from that you know in the same way that we look at basketball kids and them playing for aau and putting all that wear and tear on their body before they get to college I mean, it's the same thing with fighting. And um, I always, when I train, when I roll, I always tell whoever I'm training with, hey man, I'm just trying to learn. I'm not trying to win. So let's just learn together. Let's not try to beat each other. And, and you can do that with people there. It's not like you can't find someone to do that with, but take care of your body, everybody. Don't, don't be out there just fucking putting wear and tear on your body just for the sake of doing it. Like if you're doing that, you better be getting something from it. Yeah, I just look at, I, I know we're gonna wrap this up, but I'm just, gonna the last thing i'll say is when i think of like the epitome of athletes i I, my mind now goes to lebron james obviously and tom brady because these are two men who have managed to keep their bodies in peak condition well towards the latter years of their career just because they see the value of their body and i would assume that one of their top investments every year is the, the health of their body yeah LeBron James being the primary example of that. But there was a couple other people like T.O. You know, T.O.'s body was oh, fucking T.O. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And still, like, I, I bet you T.O. could go out there and still shame some some uh, some young and arrogant DBs. Yeah, I agree. He's that guy. So, all right, man. Um, our next uh, episode, we're probably going to have a guest, right? Looking forward to it. Yeah, I don't see why not. We, we got to have a guest on there. We got to get back into the groove. All right, all right. The inter the interview groove, but thanks for listening, y'all. It's so fucking good to be back. Yeah, man, we're excited for the Grand Gold Podcast. I'm Graden Square. I'm RK Gold. All right, we'll see you guys later. Peace, peace. <laughs>